Welcome to Eucharist Podcast, where we're exploring what it looks like for a community of disciples to live all of life in reference to Christ. The following sermon was given by Father Kyle Logan on July 2nd, 2017, the fourth week after Pentecost. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. In 1979, one of America's greatest philosophers, uh, Bob Dylan, wrote these words. You're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Ironically enough, this song became quite contentious in the rock and roll scene. Uh, Rock stars aren't exactly known for making good deacons in the church. Uh, And so John Lennon, who was really irate about the song, who was oddly enough one of Bob Dylan's good friends, wrote a response song called Serve Yourself. And he lumps all of religions into what he calls the God Almighty stew. He concludes that religions are pointless and that you should serve yourself. It's the only safe thing to do in this world. But what Lennon does in this song is he unknowingly makes Bob Dylan's point all that much more clear. At the center of this idea, serving yourself, lies the power of sin. In the fourth century, St. Augustine had a famous phrase that he used frequently. He called it incurvitus ense, being curved in on yourself. The power of sin is that you're only concerned with yourself, is what St. Augustine is trying to say. And this is John Lennon's song, serve yourself, be curved inward. And by my estimation, this is the most sinful way to live. And it's also the epitome of what sin is. And what makes it so dangerous is that it's so easy to do to serve yourself. There are plenty of examples that we can look to about being curved inward. Uh, And I think one of the most hyperbolic examples comes from a book called East of Eden. Uh, Catherine Ames, Kathy Ames is the protagonist's uh, wife and she becomes pregnant with twins. And the the book says, East of Eden says, that if she was sitting down behind a dinner table, you you would have no idea that she was pregnant. And you also wouldn't know she was pregnant if you were standing behind her. Her body didn't change at all during her pregnancy. It's like her body didn't have the intention of taking care of the newborns. She was curved in on herself, so much so that her body wouldn't even change to give life. Now this is hyperbolic, but there are everyday examples that I think are quite subtle. It might be a mom who wants her kids to excel and succeed in life which will fulfill her own needs and insecurities about her own life. She can live vicariously through her kids. She's curved in on herself and her own needs and insecurities. Or it might be a loving father who considers himself a family man. But upon hearing that a relative has a, has a sickness that might lead to death, his first thought is, I wonder if I'm going to get an inheritance. It also comes in the form of religious zeal. In T.S. Eliot's book, Murder in the Cathedral, there is a martyr 
And he realizes that his martyrdom, deep down at the heart of it, is that he wants to be known as a pious Christian. He wants others to look at him and say, wow, that man really loved God. And what better, better way to exercise one's piety than to lay down your life for your God? This martyr, ironically enough, is curved in on himself. Sin is a power that is undeniable and relentless. It meets us at every turn. In every aspect of our lives, it makes itself abundantly known. But do you catch what I'm saying here? Sin is more than just actions. And when you read Paul in the New Testament, that's how you should read it. Sin isn't exactly what you do or don't do. It's much more invasive than that. Sin is a power. It's a force that is leading us down a path of destruction and death. And in our reading from Romans chapter 6 today, Paul gives us two options in our life. We can either serve this power of sin, or we can serve God. We can either be curved inward, or we can be curved upward. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. However, Paul's language is much more intense than Bob Dylan's song is. In verses 16 and 22, he says that you can either be a slave to sin or a slave to God. A slave. I think this diction should jar us a little bit. Now, to be fair, slavery in Paul's mind isn't exactly the way that we consider slavery in our 21st century American mindset. We do have a sordid past with history, sordid history that is steeped in racism around slavery. And so we should rightly cringe at hearing the word where Paul is telling us to be slaves to God or slaves to sin. But we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. And in order to do that, I think we should try to understand slavery from a biblical picture, a biblical perspective. And if we do that, we have to go back to the Old Testament. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, you'll hear this phrase that's echoed all the time. It says, remember the Exodus. And it's obviously God talking to the people of Israel, saying to them, remember the Exodus. Remember that I brought you out of slavery. The event of the Exodus becomes the rule by which Israel is called to treat others. The first and foremost factor in Israel's approach to slavery was their own history as slaves. And their origins are that of slavery. For four centuries, they were held captive in Egypt. And that's where their story begins. Most nations don't like to talk about their origin stories from a position of weakness and vulnerability. But for some reason, God's people tend to have that as their calling card. Israel's disposition towards slaves was marked by compassion and mercy because of what Yahweh did for them. Treat your slaves well because you were once a slave. And as a result, Israel's laws that you see throughout the Old Testament surrounding slaves were incredibly progressive for their time. Slaves had equal rights. They had equal status and equal protection under the law of Moses. They were included in the life and religious community. Uh, they could be circumcised, which is a shadow of what baptism is for us. They could partake of the, the Passover meal, which is also a shadow of the Eucharist for us. If a master killed his slave, 
the master was punishable to death. Slaves were equals. There were even asylum cities for runaway slaves scattered throughout Israel. I think there were three. I can't remember. Brian might be able to tell us afterwards. Uh, But Israel, inside its government, had a sponsored underground railroad where they could run away and seek asylum and be safe in these sanctuary cities. Slaves weren't property in Israel. They were people. And I think the most intriguing law is found in Deuteronomy 15. After a slave paid off his debts to his master, it took anywhere from 7 to 14 years usually, they were... Uh, they could willingly submit themselves to become a slave to the master for the rest of their life. And this presupposes that there was more security found by being a slave to a master than what freedom could provide to you. But don't get me wrong, it was the slave's choice to make. It wasn't the master's. And if they wanted to become a permanent slave, they would have an awl driven through their earlobe into the doorpost of the household. Slavery wasn't necessarily a bad life in Israel, especially if you had a good master. And I think when we read Romans 6 today, where he says, be slaves to God, I think this is what he has in mind. It's still a strange thing that we would call ourselves slaves, nonetheless. After all, it is 4th of July weekend. Aren't we supposed to be celebrating our freedom? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm proud to be American. I really am. This upcoming Tuesday, I plan to drink a few Budweiser's. But the Budweiser I'm going to buy are the ones that say America on the can, because I just think that is the best branding I've ever seen for an American citizen to buy. And so I'm going to have a few of those on 4th of July to celebrate my freedom as an American. But because of our citizenship here, at the core of our, understa- our understanding of human rights, we have in our mindset freedom not slavery. You can't watch a political channel on TV or hear a politician speak without our freedom being referenced. We are the land of the free. Yet here we are today being told by Paul that we are either slaves of sin or slaves of God. We don't have the option of freedom in Paul's mind. So what do we make of this? I hate to be the bearer of bad news on the 4th of July weekend, but you aren't as free as you think you are. The notion of the autonomous individual that America gives us is a false caricature of what it means to be human. Our freedom doesn't actually exist. And so what might you be enslaved to? You might be enslaved to money. You might be enslaved to politics or to your job or to power. Or you might be enslaved to your phone to technology, to food, sex, vanity. You might be enslaved to yourself. You might be curved inward. You name it, you're enslaved to it. We aren't free as we think we are. The only difference between our slavery to sin and the actual reality of slaves is that we're blinded to what enslaves us. And that is a dangerous position to be in. Our enslavement to sin is like a parasite that eats away at us on the inside until we are totally dead. Whitewashed tombs is what Jesus called it. We might look pretty on the outside, but on the inside, we're rotting away like a dead corpse. We are curved into ourselves. 
And so when Paul wrote Romans, he didn't know the types of things that we would be addicted to in the 21st century, but he did know one thing. He did know that the human condition was prone to being enslaved to something. And Paul said that we have two options. We could either be enslaved to sin or enslaved to God. Attaching yourself to sin is essentially attaching yourself to death itself, which is our natural disposition in life. And to use the same language that Paul does, we should present ourselves to our master, either death or life. Our bodies can either become instruments of death or instruments of righteousness. And I think the picture that we see in Deuteronomy 15, the one where a slave is giving himself up to his master for life, is a telling portrayal of what it means to be Christian. The way it's written necessitates two things. The first thing is the absolute surrender of the slave to the master. And the second thing is the master driving on all through the ear of the slave to the doorpost of his house. You can't enslave yourself. All you can do is present yourself to him, a living sacrifice. Now, slaves in Israel would only do this for a good master, a master who loved them, a master who took care of them, who nourished them, who clothed them, who housed them. Today, I think it would be wise for us to surrender ourselves, to present ourselves to God as our master. As it says in Romans 12, to present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. This passage, I think, calls us to become his slave. Our God is a loving and generous master. He himself was pierced with nails so that we could be brought into his household. Surrender to this master. You've got to serve somebody. Serve him. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Eucharist Church Podcast. You can check us out online at eucharistsf.org, or you can come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1504 Bryant Street, San Francisco, California.